Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Welcome to Life and Art from FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and this is our Friday chat show. This week, we are talking about a new collaborative novel called 14 Days. It's one novel written by 36 authors, including Margaret Atwood, John Grisham, Celeste Ng, Angie Cruz, and the Goosebumps author R.L. Stein. 14 Days tells the story of a group of residents in a New York City apartment building who are stuck there in the early days of the COVID lockdown. They start to gather on the roof every night and tell each other stories, and each story is written by a different author. It's all narrated and held together by the building super, or the building manager, who is secretly recording their conversations. It is quite a 352-page ride and an interesting experiment, so today we're going to talk about whether it worked. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and I'm secretly recording this conversation. <laughs> Joining me from the FT headquarters in London, from a fainting couch on the roof, is the FT's acting deputy books editor, Andrew Dixon. Hi, Andy. Hey, we got a great view of St. Paul's, though. It's all good. It's not bad. Um, and with him on that roof in London is our assistant arts and books editor and author of the novel Little Scratch. It's Rebecca Watson. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome back. Hello. I'm so happy to have you both here. Uh, and to get into it, my first question is just what you both thought. Like, what is your top line take? Uh, Andy. Uh, well, my top line take, honestly, I don't want to be too much of a downer to start this conversation, but <laughs> I assigned this book for review when it came through because it looked very interesting and exciting. And there are some fascinating and big authors in this. Uh, I hadn't read it before I sent out the copy to our reviewer. And I'm starting to feel really sorry for our reviewer, Mika Russell. <laughs> we read about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I I was not a huge fan. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, what about you? Yeah, I... I didn't expect to love it. Um, and spoiler, I didn't love it. I thought for a, a novel that's yeah told by, what, 36 people, it was surprisingly flat to me. Like it almost felt surprisingly one voice, despite the fact that you had this kind of amazing collection of people that were bringing their own uh, like stance to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I... I'm going to find myself defending this book. I'm not sure why. Um, I had a real roller coaster of emotions with this book. Initially, I didn't like it. I didn't like the premise. I didn't like being on a roof during COVID. I didn't like the narrator. I didn't like the structure. Um, but then... I, apart from that. <laughs> but apart from that, was good. no, but I found myself sort of slowly liking some of the stories and the spirit of some of the stories. And in the end, I felt like it had sort of redeemed itself, at least as a kind of interesting experiment with many flaws. Uh, but the one thing I liked the most, I think, is that it introduced me to some authors that I didn't know about. Um, and I found myself liking some of the authors I knew less about more than the big names. Yeah, there's definitely a sense, isn't there, with some of them, uh, some of these big name authors do give every impression of having phoned it in or indeed <laughs> replied 
to the pitch and the commission within two hours <laughs> in an email <laughs> and written the story or, have, you know, have reached into their bottom drawer to produce something. Maybe that's unfair, but... Um, Shout out to John Grisham. Yeah, they're, they're, well, I mean, John Grisham, we need to talk about John Grisham, but um, yeah, I think that there is, it's a democratic project, isn't it? This idea of, of putting, as you say, kind of marquee names next to writers who many readers might not be so aware of or not really know their work and give them all the same brief and the same space. Mm. And of course, also, we should say the book has the names on, on the cover and on, on the flyleaf, but you, you don't know as you're reading it who's written what. It's not until you get to the mm-hmm. final pages that you actually sort of find out. And and actually, you have to kind of want to find out because it's not super easy to locate the individual stories. Yeah, it's really quite hard. Yeah, which I, I suppose must be a choice. It's like a puzzle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There is a puzzle element there, isn't there? So I think you could mm-hmm. read this and think, actually, I'm just not going to, I don't care which story Margaret Atwood wrote or John Gresham wrote or whoever else. I will just enjoy this as a series of, of tales. But, um, but yeah, But I wonder if it actually worked as a novel. I'm curious what you both think, but I felt like at some point in the book I decided, actually, this is a collection of short stories. I'm going to start thinking about it that way. And um, it made me like it more. It's definitely, uh, it's a collection of short stories with an agreed setting and an agreed character list. Um, I'm assuming that the way it worked was not that the manuscript was passed from person to person and uh, there was a sense of kind of building upon what's come before. Um, And I think that's Mm -hmm. quite important because I think there's really a limited sense of propulsion throughout the novel because each kind of splinter just has its own personal integrity. And Mm. there there isn't really a sense of like a relationship between each story, even though we sensibly have this rooftop and we have these like set of characters that remain the same. Yeah, there's a strange thing there as well, isn't there? For all that we get the same characters emerging on the rooftop night after night as they tell stories to each other, you don't get a sense of them as characters, or I didn't anyway. So there's a lot wrong (laughs) with this book, Um, but some things work. And I would love to talk about some of the stories for us to give listeners a sense of um, what did and what didn't work. Um, Why don't we start with you, Andy? What's a story that you sort of either think helped the book or... uh, or hurt the book. <laughs> to me, the stories that felt most real are the ones that that come most alive and feel most performed and respond to the frame, right? Where someone mm-hmm. is, is standing up in front of a group of people and it's like a piece of theatre or something. And there's a story um, in Day 13, which is called Storyteller, I Written think. Written by Dave Eggers. Written by Dave Eggers. Um, yeah. It's said at a kind of open mic night and the, the, the character is telling a story which sort of begins as a joke and she's saying, um, you know, this kind of crazy thing happened to me and what actually happened to her is that a friend of hers was assaulted, uh, was was mm-hmm. raped by a guy and she goes on this revenge spree to try and track him down and make him suffer. And I won't spoil what happens also. It's kind of gruesome. Uh, and the story is not <laughs> in any way a joke and you can get a real sense of the audience in the story itself being horrified by what they're listening to. Mm-hmm. That really leapt off the page to me because it it felt performed and it felt like actually this is a kind of story that someone might tell. Um, and compared to the, some of the others, it, it felt that there was a real response to the the um, the premise of the book there. Mm, yeah, yeah. A story that I liked um, was the story by Mira Jacob, who's a writer and a graphic novelist. And in it, briefly, the character's mother died and she's kind of a strange bird. And when the character and her dad are reflecting on her mother's life, they learn this family secret and um, you find out 
the secret had appeared to her in past dreams. And it was kind of a nub of a story. It wasn't too deep and it didn't go too far, but it felt kind of small in scope in a way that I liked. Um, So I found myself actually, even though in big picture, I felt like there was a lot lacking, I did small picture find myself underlining um, quite a few lines in the different stories. Yeah, and I think that those are really good examples of like real real stories, the kind of stories that you would tell. Um, like mm. when you're anecdotally talking about, so, you know, if someone's like, come on, come on, tell me a story. Or like you have this, it's like with the situation on the rooftop where you know that eventually you're going to have to be the one to talk and Go. tell something from your life. I think the yeah. stories that like do, you know, stick with you are often ones where it doesn't entirely make sense why they feel like stories to, to you, why they have kind of remained with you for that many years. And they do have mm. that kind of very specific feel slightly kind of spooky or strange or off kilter yeah totally how did you both feel about the covid premise (laughs) um i didn't love being brought back to covid but i know there's a lot of um literature and culture that's coming out about it even still um andy what did you think yeah i agree i didn't really want to be back there um i don't know who (laughs) does i entirely understand why novels deal with it and novelists want to write about it. There's this nice line that Ian McEwan said once, I think, that it's a bit like a tree falling over in your on the path in front of you. You're going to have to cross it at some point. It's going to have to be dealt with. <laughs> um, but as a reader, anyway, I, I just didn't really want to be back there. It's both sort of too soon and mm-hmm. and also... It's too distant, and there's something about the premise of this that that makes me think, oh, I just I want to look away, which is interesting in itself. There might be an interesting novel to be written about why people don't want to go back to COVID. Um, but <laughs> it might be that we we're not able to do it yet. It might be that no one is able mm. to write that book yet. Yeah, I just I just think it's far too early to be writing anything that directly deals with the pandemic. Um, mm. It's it's too close, and I think we're kind of incapable of seeing it yeah. I guess the perspective right it's like you're, you're turning around and the, the person's still just standing right there like they need to be further back <laughs> I mean when I finished my second novel which I was you know half of which was written during the pandemic well, I remember during the writing of it being like oh, right great now I've got to set the timeline so that it definitely finishes <laughs> <laughs> right. far before right. the pandemic begins otherwise it's this whole kind of obstacle that you have to kind of have to handle have to look at Okay, so next I would love to talk about this as an experiment. We picked this because we were excited about the idea of experimentation in literature, and it's cool that it's trying to do something new with the form, and interesting that it's trying to do something new with the writing process. And um, it's clear that we agree that it didn't necessarily work, but I guess what was the thing we were hoping for? You know, if not this, then what? Like, at this time, what is the thing that we would want to see out of an experiment like this, or even a collaboration like this? Yeah, I, I think for me, I would, would would want to be surprised more about the change in voice. I think if you're having a collaborative mm-hmm. novel and the idea is those kind of contrasts and diversions, then I think I'd want to feel that more. I think maybe they should have liberated them a bit more, allowed them mm. to, to get a bit more madcap and see what happened. Yeah. What about you, Andy? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um... I was thinking actually that in a strange way, 
my issue with this book almost is that it, at some level the, hmm. the concept is quite experimental, this idea of this democracy of voices and authors of different reputations and backgrounds and everything else and that they're being brought into the same space and you don't know who is who and you're playing a kind of puzzle game to try and figure it out. But actually mm-hmm. when you think of, I don't know, a writer like Sheila Hetty and the experiments that she is doing uh, or kind of autofiction writers or someone like Jorn Fosser, the Norwegian guy who just won the Nobel Prize. It's like, actually, there are more interesting things happening with a kind of singular intelligence in in novels, I mm. think, than this was capable of doing. And, and I think maybe that's the problem is that at some level, maybe like many group projects, <laughs> it doesn't quite <laughs> hang together. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, it's like a dream commission. Like, obviously, anyone would say yes to it. It's a fun idea. Like, you don't know how it's going to go. Like, you're like, sure, I'm not committing to loads. Like, it's great. Um, Mm-hmm. But it, but I think that's kind of uh, kind of admits its structure in itself, right? Like it's a it's a publishing experiment rather than a experimental novel. Um, I yeah. think to call it an experimental novel, which you know they they do, and I think that is how it's kind of talked about online and stuff. But, but I think that's pretty disingenuous. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction. Um, Rebecca and Andy, this was really fascinating. Thank you both. We will be back in just a moment for more or less. I'm Ethan Wu, host of Unhedged, the markets podcast from the Financial Times. On the show, we answer questions like, are we going to see another financial crisis? So I, I guess where we land at the end of the day is there is a lot of scope for things to go bad here, but maybe not quite 2008. Ugly, but smaller. Ugly. <laughs> it's, the worst, it's the worst way to describe your second child. <laughs> at least he doesn't eat much. <laughs> Listen to Unhedged wherever. Welcome back for More or Less, the part of the show where each guest says something that they want more of or less of in culture. Andy, what do you have? Oh, please, could I do a less? Uh, (laughs) Do a less. Please do a less. I suppose technically it should be a fewer, but please could we have fewer (laughs) biopics? I never want to see another biopic ever again. Mm. I've literally, it feels like all I've been watching at the cinema, Priscilla... Maestro, Oppenheimer, obviously sort of re-emerged in cinemas. Uh, We've got the Bob Marley coming Mm up. Um, I was just reading today, apparently a Goebbels, Josef Goebbels biopic has just sold at the Berlin Film Festival. (laughs) I mean, it's just, I don't know, a particularly also famous guys. This is like my issue with Maestro, that notionally it was kind of about Leonard Bernstein sort of told through the experience of his family and his wife, most of all. But actually, it was still a picture about a guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I I just, yeah, <laughs> I, I just kill off all biopics. That's me. Yeah, I could use a break <laughs> from those two. I agree. Um, Rebecca, what about you? Okay, um, I'm going to go for a more. Um, I saw All of Our Strangers at the weekend, um, mm-hmm. which is, and I've also... Uh, saw After Sun last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're two films that, I mean, what's the common de- denominator here? Um, they're sort of an interplay of uh, memory and childhood, both autobiographical um, and they're very beautiful, very artistic films. And they also both have 
Paul Mescal in them. Um, <laughs> so it's just basically so more films Paul with Paul Mescal. So I just think <laughs> like... A very popular more. Yeah, given how good both those films are, like the logic would be more Paul Mescal. <laughs> Um, mine is a more to the day that we are recording. It's snowing in New York. Um, and my niece has virtual school. She was not given a snow day. And I feel really sad about that for her. I feel like snow days should still exist. Um, we should have more of them. And they should be days in which we just um, lie in bed and read poems and read books that we were meant to read and watch stupid television. And that's our God given right. So more snow days. Completely agree. And they should also apply to adults, <laughs> particularly FT editors. Yeah. yeah, if anything, that's more I important. Agree. It's, it's even more important. <laughs> um, Andy and Rebecca, this was really so much fun. Uh, thank you both for coming on the show. Cheers. Thanks for having us. That's the show. Thank you for listening to Life and Art from FT Weekend. Take a read through the show notes. We have linked to everything mentioned today, including the FT's review of 14 Days. Every link that goes to the FT will get you past the paywall. Rebecca also has a novel out this year. It's called I Will Crash. So keep an eye out for that. Also in the show notes is a subscription to the Financial Times and ways to stay in touch with me and with the show on email and on Instagram. I'm very responsive and love hearing from you. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my talented team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a wonderful week, and we'll find each other again on Monday.